Welcome, friends, to our second season of the Reynolds Rap Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Reynolds, and this podcast is meant to encourage and bless you as you seek to live an authentic life in Christ Jesus. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button to get updates on original content each week. And also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, and online at rayreynoldsrap.com. We hope you enjoy today's episode. I am sharing some messages over these few days about encouragement and how we need to be encouraged and we also need to encourage others. We spent some time over the last three days, now the fourth day, discussing Barnabas, a great man of God that's listed for us in the book of Acts as someone who is called the son of encouragement. And man, that just really hits me. Uh, I think about someone who would literally their name would be an encourager. And that's who we want to be as we walk with the Lord. Now, we studied already Acts chapter 4. In fact, we recognize there that it says a few things about uh, the character of Barnabas. But maybe one of the greatest compliments that he is given is found in chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 24. It says, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. This is Barnabas. Barnabas is called a good man, a man full of the Holy Spirit, and full of faith. Sounds a lot to me like those men described in Acts chapter 6, doesn't it? The men that were called to leave and to serve the church in various capacities. What I want us to do in our time together today is to think about these specific things to help us as we try to be encouraged and encourage other people. One of the things I appreciate about Barnabas is his conviction. His conviction to share his conviction to give, his conviction to love, his conviction to mentor Paul and other leaders of the New Testament church. His conviction and his faith are, are certainly very strong. But I want you to notice here, the first thing that is mentioned here is that he is a good man. Goodness is a term that is used in reference to God. In fact, we go back to the Genesis account. It says after each day, it said God said it was Good. Good is a reference to things God has made, a reference to God himself and his own very nature. In fact, there's a little phrase I say with my kids all the time. I say God is good, and they say all the time, and I say all the time, and they say God is good. I do this at, at Titus camp every year. I do it at the school when I teach. I remind kids. I remind my children and other children around that God is good all the time. God is great, uh, and his goodness is one of the things that motivates us. Because we know at the, at the very end of the day, good things are going to come to those that God is with and God blesses. Does that mean everything in life is going to be perfect and good? No. But at the end of our life, something good is waiting. Eternal life for those who have walked faithfully with Him. So to be described as a good person is a tremendous blessing, I think. It's a great compliment to say that he was a good man. Now, the evidence of that is seen through the book of Acts, and we've covered some of those stories throughout Scripture. The Bible also refers to other men and women as good, just like Barnabas. And I wonder, when you look at your own life, do you consider yourself to be a good person? Now, we all do bad things. We all do things that we regret and we wish we could change. Well, if we want to be a good person, it's going to take a change. We're going to have to repent. You know, the Bible says in Luke 13, 3 and verse 5, that if we don't repent, we'll perish. 
That has to be a concept Barnabas understood. He chooses the right path. There's two paths laid before us, Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Two different roads that we have a choice to go down. One is more narrow and a little more difficult, and one is broad, wide, and everybody else wants to be on that road because it's easy. Which road are you going to choose? Uh, there are times in Scripture that choices have to be made. Joshua makes that choice in uh, Joshua 24 and verse 15. As he challenges them, they're going to have to choose their path. But he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You can't dance between two opinions or two roads. You've got to make a choice to pick the one you're on. You're either going to choose a road that's good or a road that is evil. Are you going to make the right choice or the wrong choice? Obviously, Barnabas chooses the right path. He does what is good. Now, when we find ourselves on that path of darkness and wickedness, which from time to time sadly may happen, may happen in our youth, it may happen in our middle age, it may happen as we get older. I don't know what stage of life you may be in, but there are times we make mistakes. We do things that are wrong, and we should be convicted in our heart. I love the uh, men that are present there on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 that were pricked in their hearts because they had made a decision that ultimately cost the life of Jesus. And Peter says, now look, this same Jesus who was on the cross, the same one that died, that the Lord, God, the Father, has made him Lord in Christ. He's the Messiah. And as they pause and they reflect about that message, they then cry out to Peter, men and brethren, what do we need to do? Effectively saying, we know we're on the wrong path. We know that we're not good. We know that we're evil. What do we need to do? And he says, repent. That's the first word. Repent. Change. Don't follow the same behavior. Don't follow the same pattern. Change. No matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter how evil you think you've been, you can always turn around. These are the men who literally nailed Jesus to the cross. And Jesus looks down at them and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. They didn't understand the significance of that. But here in Acts 2, after they see the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the apostles, they know something miraculous is taking place here, as had at the cross, when one of the soldiers would cry out, surely this man is, is the Son of God. Throughout Jesus' ministry, even at his death, the, some of the graves popped open, and dead people started walking the streets. How crazy is that? The power of Jesus was evident throughout his ministry. He's healing the sick. He's healing the leper. People who have withered hands are suddenly able to use them with functionality. There are people that have been blind from birth, suddenly can see. He's raising the dead like Lazarus. It was, it was impossible for people to deny something wasn't happening. Something was happening. Something was happening. Great things were taking place. And those men had decided they were going to get together and say, our blood, the blood of our children, it'll be on our own heads. We want them crucified. So they're convicted in their heart. They said, we've been evil. What do we need to do? First thing. Peter says, you better repent. Repent. Change your ways. Don't do the same thing. And then notice what he says. And be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you want your sins remitted, if you want them taken away, if you want them removed as far as the east is from the west, you want them cast in the depth of the ocean, you want them blotted out, whatever the case may be, scattered on the sand of the seashore. Hundreds of scriptures tell us what God does with sin when we let go of it. But we've got to repent. And then uh, Peter says to them, you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, for the remission of sins. You need to be immersed 
in the blood of Jesus. Instead of taking the blood of Jesus, as they had, he says, you need to be immersed in the blood of Jesus, which they had not done. And they lined up that day, nearly 3,000 of them, to be baptized. I don't know if that's the day that Barnabas decided to become a faithful follower of Jesus. But at some point, Barnabas also makes that choice. And he decides he's going to give his life to Christ. And he's going to serve him with every ounce of energy he has. And so when they're describing him to people, this guy's a son of encouragement. He's a, quote, good man. He's as good as it gets. He was an example for the early church. He's a faithful leader of his household. He was a great missionary, great preacher of the gospel. He was a good guy, a good man of God. That's important. Notice with me, if you will, the next description that is given there in verse 24 says he was full of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible tells us there also in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, he says to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says this promise is not just to you, uh, it's to your children, to those who are far off, and to as many as the Lord our God will call. In some way, in some form, in some fashion, God allows his Spirit to comfort us, to walk with us, and to live inside of us. Now, it's not in any miraculous way today, but he says, I need you to see that God's Spirit is leading you. I need you to see that the Word of God leads us. You know, the Scriptures teach us that the Spirit helped to pen this book. In fact, he inspired men to write it. He literally lives on the pages of Scripture. That's pretty awesome when you think about the Holy Spirit of God. But another portion of God's Spirit lives and dwells inside of us as a seal of our redemption and of our salvation. And I, I'm not going to pretend to tell you how I know how that works. All I know is what the scriptures say about it. And I can read chapter 6 in Romans about baptism. And I can read in chapter 8 about the Spirit of God dwelling inside those who call themselves children of God. But here's what I do know. For Barnabas, he was a man who was full of the Holy Spirit. It tells me there that was probably something supernatural about the Spirit of God that dwelled inside of Barnabas like some of the apostles in the early church, they were able to perform miracles. Now, Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 how that would fade out. It seems pretty evident as we get to the book of Acts' end that a lot of those miraculous gifts were already fading away as the apostles were slowly dying out as they had had the ability to pass it on. We can see that in Acts 2 and in Acts 10. But it says this guy, Barnabas, is full of the Holy Spirit. When you see him, you can sense the Spirit of God. I could see Barnabas out there performing miracles alongside Paul. I could see him doing great and mighty things in the name of Christ. But I also see him bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now that is not supernatural. That's a natural gift. The Bible tells us there that the Spirit of God in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. There's that word. Faithfulness. Gentleness and self-control. So we've got good and faithful right there as we read here in Acts chapter 11. He's a man who's full of the Holy Spirit, both supernaturally and naturally. All of us are given a natural gift of the Spirit of God. And so he says, I'm, I am, I'm seeing, the, the disciples there in Acts 11 are saying, I, we're seeing that this man is just bubbling over with the Spirit of God. He's doing great things in the name of God. Look at the fruit that is mentioned there in Galatians 5. And then evaluate your own life. Do you feel like you are overflowing with love and joy and peace? Do you feel like the Spirit of God is, is coming out in your life? Or are you bearing the works of the flesh? 
that are mentioned there previously in that chapter. If you're a child of God, people need to see a change in you, just as they did on Pentecost. They need to see repentance. They need to see that you are truly, completely, wholeheartedly given over to the cause of Christ. A person who has changed, it's evident. You don't have to ask them. You don't have to go up to them and say, hey, there's something different about you. Can, you know there's something different. And if you're around them long enough, if they've given their life to Christ and they've been cleansed of their sins, they act different. They talk different. They go different places. Instead of going to the bar every Friday night, they're in Bible study on Wednesday night and on Sundays. They're out talking to people about Jesus, not always talking about all the other things that are going on in our world. There's a time to talk about politics and there's a time to talk about sports. Hey, I know it's Saturday. It's a time to talk about sports. But I'll tell you, when we talk about Jesus, there's a conviction and a power in us that's greater than any sport I could talk about. Any political conversation I could have, even of the things that I like, the books that I like to read, the things that I like to do. I'm more passionate about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I'm more passionate about this book and what it teaches me. I'm more passionate about being a person full of God's Spirit to try to teach and to reach people with the gospel. What's in the center of you? What's in your heart? That's what comes out. This man Barnabas, Acts 11, he, he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And then notice there at the end it says, he was full of faith. You want to be an encourager? You better start bearing the fruit of the Spirit. You got to know whether or not you're walking the right path. Are you on an evil path or on a good path? And then finally here it says, you got to be faithful. I want to spend the rest of our time thinking about what it means to be faithful to God. Barnabas was faithful until his death. He led other people to be faithful until their death. He's, he's the main inspiration and encourager and mentor of Paul through the book of Acts. What does it mean to be faithful? You see, it, the easy part is making a decision to follow Jesus. I, I truly believe that's the easiest part because we know we're in sin. We know where that leads us. We know that hell is a consequence of sin because the wages of sin is death, eternal death. And so when we're confronted with the problem of sin, we know the solution is salvation. And so we come to God and we say, I, I, I'm sorry for my sin. I, I want to change. And as Romans 10 tells us, faith comes from what? From hearing the word of God. So I want to be faithful to God. I, I hear his word, first of all, in salvation, and then second of all, in my faithful living. But I hear the word of God. And I then meditate on the word of God. And as the scriptures teach us consistently about salvation, I know what I got to do to make things right with God. I need to, just like they did on Pentecost, repent. So if I believe Jesus is the son of God, and there's no doubt in my mind that he is the savior of the world, and I'm lost without him, that's the steps I begin to take to get right with God. I confess that faith before others, saying, I believe Jesus is the son of God. I acknowledge that Christ is my savior. I admit that I am completely lost without him. And based upon my belief, based upon my choice to repent, which, by the way, doesn't just take place the day we're baptized. Every day is a continual change to be conformed to the image of Christ. But I repent and I confess my faith publicly to others. Then I go to him in immersion. I go and I am baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. Probably no greater example of this than then Acts chapter 8. Now, there's one in every page. I mean, you go 8, there's a couple conversions, 9, 10. And we can go to uh, chapter 16, there's a couple there. 
18, 19, there's baptism on all, I mean, the, you, can't, you can't flip the New Testament open and not find a book that has baptism in it or something about the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing us. But Acts 8 is a great example. Something happened along the journey as Philip's teaching this Ethiopian eunuch, another man who was full of faith, by the way, Philip. And he makes the, takes the opportunity to go, as he's told by the Spirit, to go and chase down this chariot. And as he sits down with this man, he teaches him from Isaiah about the Christ, about Jesus. And then the Bible tells us that after this, they apparently come upon some water, which is pretty unique in the desert. Anytime you see an oasis, it's, it's, an, it's an exciting thing. But instead of thinking about getting something to drink, this eunuch wants a drink from the well of life. He says, I, I see water. What's going to hinder me from being baptized? Now, I don't know what took place between those verses in Acts 8. I, I don't know what all of the message that Philip had preached to that man. But I'll tell you what I do know. He emphasized baptism. Because as soon as water was available, if it was deep enough, if it was wide enough that the two of them could go down in it, he said, there's water, let's, let's do this thing. And Philip just plainly tells him, well, if you believe in Jesus Christ, basically saying if you, if you confess this, that you believe everything you've just been taught, then you can, you can be baptized. And he says, I believe, I believe. And the text tells us in, in Acts chapter 8, they both went down into the water. And notice this, they both came up out of the water. Baptism's not about pouring a cup. It's not a lot dropping a couple of, of droplets on somebody's nose or forehead. Baptism from the Greek, baptizo, means immerse, submersion, completely underwater. And we all do dishes, right? I'm sure. <laughs> we have dishwashers now. But I still have to wash some things by hand. And boy, I'll tell you what, <laughs> there have been times that a few dishes didn't get completely clean. W would you want to eat off that? My mom used to teach me a valuable lesson when I was a child. Uh, one of my responsibilities was to do the dishes. I've done the dishes my whole life. I mean, I did dishes at, at my jobs in high school. I was the best that they had because my mother trained me right. And I'll tell you what she did to me one time, a lesson I will never forget. She set the table servings for tostadas, which was my favorite meal. My mom would fry tortillas in a hard shell, big round tortilla shell, and, and stack them up, boy. And we had refried beans, and we had meat, beef or deer, whatever we had available. And we'd get shredded cheese, and we'd get sour cream, and she'd dice the tomatoes and chop up the lettuce. I know it's about breakfast time for most of us as we're watching this, but we're hungry, right? I'll tell you what, my mom would make those tostadas, and I that was my favorite meal. I would get that thing and immediately spread that refried beans all over it. And I would take that beef and, and sprinkle on top of it or, or deer sausage or burger, whatever it was, on top. And I'd put the cheese and the tomatoes and I'd drip that drop of a dollop of daisy on top with the sour cream. Oh, I love my tostadas, my favorite meal my mom made. We sat down that night to that table knowing it was my favorite meal. She laid a plate in front of me that had some food on the side of it where I hadn't cleaned the, the plate properly. And then I looked at the silverware, and the fork that I had had something in one of the tines. My mom strategically placed those dishes in front of me that day so that I would learn a valuable lesson. You see, it was my neglect of making sure to clean the items properly that caused me then in that moment 
to realize the significance of the mistake that I had made. Sometimes when we come to Christ, we don't have all of our sins washed away because we don't fully repent. What I would do sometimes also when I did the dishes is I would run my hand over it really fast to go run off and play video games or hang out with my friends. Usually it was going on bike rides. But I would often do it really quickly, and I wouldn't rub around the outsides. And as I did the forks, I would clean the fork, but I wouldn't get in between the tines. And so I had to fully submerse them in water. Listen to me now. I had to fully submerse them down into the water to ensure that they were completely clean on the top, on the back, on the sides of each dish, bowls, plates, cups, forks, whatever the case may be. You see, in order to be covered by the blood of Jesus, I need to be fully submerged underwater. Why? Well, Romans 6 says it's because it's a burial. When you go to a cemetery, if you see a hand popped up out of the ground or a foot, you begin to ask questions. Somebody didn't bury them properly. Well, exactly. When you're covered by the blood of Jesus, it means to be covered by the blood of Jesus to be fully immersed. If somebody's dropped some water on your head or poured something over your head, it doesn't mean you're immersed. Baptism is a full body immersion. It's a burial in the ground and then raised up. And just like I learned my lesson, if I didn't submerge those dishes and clean them thoroughly underneath that water, then something might be attached. Still sin might remain, if you will, as an example. And so I learned that day a very important lesson about that, but now I, I put it in and think about salvation. i got to be clean. i got to be completely washed. And from time to time, those dishes get dirty again. And guess what? Because it, it was clean in the very beginning. You know, what does that mean? It stays clean? No, it gets dirty again. i got to clean it again. John talks about how we do that in 1 John 1, verses 7 through 10, about the continual cleansing of Jesus' blood. And we do that through prayer as we ask God to forgive us. And, and that moment when we were saved, when we had sins washed away, he, he remembers that event. And once again, we're made right in the eyes of God. We have to choose to be faithful. Paul says, I'm going to be faithful unto death. He talks about being ready to go. I, I, I often talk about Romans 12, 1 and 2. I still remember uh, there was a preacher, very good friend, Carl Herndon, preaches in um, Forsyth, Missouri, or preaches around that area, preached at the church where my mom and my dad used to go and where my grandmother attended until her passing. And I remember so many times as a teenager hearing him end his invitation to the church with this verse. And he would use 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. And he'd say, I, I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give to me that day, not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. And, and, and to, to hear him say those words uh, from, from 2 Timothy 4, I could see passion in his eyes. He really believed he too was running that Christian race, that he was being faithful until death. Jesus told uh, the church in, in Revelation 2, be faithful unto death and I'll give you a crown of life. I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful. People will make commitments when they get married and say, I'll be faithful unto death. And then they're unfaithful. And that, that causes all kinds of friction and problems and a breaking of a covenant with God. We need to take vows very seriously. So when we come up out of that watery grave of baptism and we make a decision to follow him, then we need to be faithful. Faithful like Barnabas. Barnabas had his ups and downs. 
We read that in chapter 15. He had a conflict with Paul, and he had to leave and start his own missionary team. But that didn't affect his faith. He didn't waver in his faith. He continued chapter 14, and I would argue chapter 15, that he stayed faithful to God. There are people you probably know, people I know, people in our church family. I'm amazed. The things that they have experienced in life, the difficulties they've had to overcome, but yet they have stayed faithful. They have not wavered in their faith to God. People who have lost children, who have lost spouses, lost their parents, lost jobs, went through divorce and abuse and all kinds of terrible things, but yet they stay faithful to God. That's a testimony that serves as a witness just like Job's story does. Without Job going through what he went through, how would we have a testament of faith and patience? It is a story that is well known around the world, even for those who haven't read the story in the Bible. And so Barnabas is known as a man who is faithful. Are you known to be faithful? Are you known to be a person that is faithful to God? You see, we see Barnabas' life here, and he's a man who is good, he's a man who's full of the Holy Spirit, and he's a man who is full of faith. But he used those things to the glory of God. Faithfulness to God is faithfulness to his church, to his people, to the family of God. If you take a, a part of your body and you cut it off and you lay it over here, it's not going to survive on its own, is it? It's not going to survive. The body of Christ, the church, is supposed to be knit together in unity. We've talked about that. And so in Christ, I've got to work together with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'll say it, I'll repeat it over and over again. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus tried to prepare his disciples that he was going to build his church. He wanted his people to be together, to work together. Barnabas is successful in ministry, not just because he had Paul with him, and not just because he had the financial backing of the church in Jerusalem, not just because the apostles liked him. He was successful because he served God with all his heart. His conviction is what motivated him and led him to be an encourager. A lot of other stories in the Bible, just like Barnabas, of people who were faithful to God. I think about Abraham. I think about Moses. I think about a very good man, a man who was uh, just like Barnabas, an encourager, someone who loved God, someone who was a good man, someone who was full of spirit, full of the Spirit of God and bearing the fruits of the Spirit. Someone who was faithful until death. It's tough to witness people who give their life fully to the kingdom and then one day we have to lay them to rest. But we know where he's going to spend eternity. Dr. Jack Zorn was a great mentor and an example to hundreds, if not thousands, of great men and women within the church. And it is with honor that we memorialize and remember him today. But it's also an opportunity for us to think about our own faith and to think about where we are in our walk, whether or not it can be said of us at our funeral that we were good and spirit-led and full of faith in God. doesn't matter where you are. doesn't matter what you're going through. You always have a chance to turn a new leaf. You can become a new creature if you're not baptized. You can become a new creation, be immersed in the blood of Jesus. And if you are walking with God and you're not as faithful as you should be, you still got time to change. Barnabas completely understood that. This is one of the reasons why he went out and not only taught and evangelized people that were outside of Christ, but he went around encouraging churches too. 
You can be an encourager for the church. You can be the person that pats people on the back, gives them a hug, gives them a handshake, reminds them that they're loved. Write the notes. And you know you don't have to do it for attention. Uh, I love to see random acts of kindness, but a good friend of mine reminds me that you know what's better than a random act of kindness? A planned act of kindness. So find a way to be an encourager today. Tomorrow's the Lord's Day. Sunday is an opportunity for you to go to church, go to Bible study, encourage people. They're encouraged by your presence, by your attendance. But I'm encouraging you to go to church, go to Bible study tomorrow. Pick up that Bible and read it. What are you doing this weekend? I got football I want to watch. I got put God first. Focus on it. Get your stuff ready for tomorrow. If you ladies, uh, men, if, if you if you've got clothes that you need ready, don't wait till Sunday morning to go scrambling for the boys' shirts. <laughs> you know, don't oh, is her dress clean? No, get that ready tonight and get your heart and your mind ready to worship tomorrow and then go to bible study go to worship put your whole heart into it and you'll see how god will bless you thank you for tuning into today's broadcast be sure to hit that subscribe button to get updates on original content each week follow us on social media at facebook instagram twitter tumblr tiktok youtube and check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com also if you'd like to suggest a topic for an upcoming broadcast, or if you'd like to email me a question, or if you have a prayer request, you can send that to rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day, and may the Lord bless you as you seek to live an authentic life in Christ Jesus.